hope everyone's doing all right tonight. Thanks for being here, making it through uh, the heat. You know, I didn't leave Bakersfield for this. Yeah, <laughs> this basically feels like Bakersfield. Uh, San Diego's supposed to be nice and cool. Like, what's the deal, right? Um, but a lot of uh, California's feeling this way right now. So, yeah, it's pretty hot. It's pretty hot. It's like 100 degrees. Me and Brianna's AC broke uh, like five days ago. And so it's a little hotter where we live than down here, but it still is pretty hot down here. But yeah, that's it's pretty rough. It's pretty rough. We got fixed. So AC, I think, is like one of the greatest inventions. Yeah. Just of all time. That's right. Just straight up. Like AC and the wheel. It's pretty much the two greatest inventions right there. Okay, so uh, last week we were talking about. The temptation of Jesus, how he was tempted by the devil in the wilderness. Today, we're moving on from Matthew chapter 4 to chapter 5. And so if you guys are following along, we'll be pretty much in Matthew uh, chapter 5, verses 13 through about, uh, really verses 13 through 14 or so. So it's only a couple verses. But after Jesus' temptation, he really started beginning his ministry more and gaining more of a following and eventually, he gave this thing that we call the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is this big sermon. It takes about three chapters in your Bible, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And in this sermon, Jesus gives all kinds of spiritual advice on how to live. He says a lot of different convicting things. He gives what's called the Beatitudes, which is very famous, like, Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are, blessed are, and so on and so forth. And so... There's a lot in the Sermon on the Mount, and we could probably spend a whole year going through the Sermon on the Mount, but I want to get through Matthew by next, before the summer's over. So, uh, we're not going to be doing that. We're going to be pretty much just looking at different verses in each chapter. So, today we're in Matthew chapter 5, and... You want summer? Summer? Yeah. Summer's a long time. No, I'm talking about next year. Oh, yeah. yeah. We're going to be in Matthew for a little bit, but I have some other series sprinkled in between there, so it kind of picks it up later by, by Easter. So we're going to be doing the resurrection by Easter was my goal, which makes sense, right? So, Okay, so here's what we're talking about tonight, though. Like Brianna said, salt and light is kind of the passage that we're looking at. I'd appreciate if somebody could push the PowerPoint slides back there. Thanks, Brianna. Give it up for Brianna. Leave that somewhere. I thought it was broken. The PowerPoint works, but the presenter does not. It's a different thing. So anyways, here's what we're talking about tonight. You can make a difference. You can make a difference, okay? Now, this is probably something that you've heard before. Maybe you've heard it like in Disney movies, and you've heard it from your parents, and you've heard it from your teachers. But do you really believe it? Maybe you've heard your whole life, you can make a difference, you have all this potential, all that kind of stuff, but do you really believe it? Whenever I can, I try to preach on the importance of being different and making a difference because this is a time in your life where it feels like it's hard to be different from other people, and this is the time in your life where it's feel, it feels like it's hard to make a difference in your generation. So maybe your friends are headed in a direction that's far from God. Maybe your family's headed in a direction that's far from God. People at your school. Maybe you feel like you're heading in a direction that's far from God. The enemy wants to believe that 
your generation, your campus, your oikos, it's that Greek word that we used to talk about those closest to us, but usually we talk about unbelievers that we're close with, like friends from school, maybe some family members, your oikos. The enemy wants you to believe that your generation, your campus, your oikos is too far gone for you to make an impact, but the opposite is true. God wants to use you to make a big impact right where you're at in your life. So there's no better time in your life to live for Jesus in a bold way than right now. And that's kind of what we're talking about tonight. If we as Christians are just different from others in order to just be different, um, you know, just kind of have different morals. If that's really the only thing that sets us apart, like we're, we're just different to be weird. Like we're just weird. That's all we are. But if we're different and we choose to be different with the purpose of making the difference in those around us, then we're not just being different to be different. We're still going to be weird because we're different, right? Or at least we're being weird with a purpose that way. We're different to make a difference. On Sunday, we talked about uh, how do we handle friendships? How do we balance uh, the tension between like others can influence us? How can we influence others positively in our lives that maybe are going down different paths and making different choices than us? And you can influence others a little bit by what you don't do. So you can influence others, like they can see like, I don't listen to that music, I don't watch that stuff, I don't attend those events, I don't do that thing. And that can maybe influence people a little bit by what you don't do, but you can influence them a lot more by what you actually do for the name of Jesus, by how you actually live out your faith in Christ, not just by the things you don't do that's different from everyone else. If you're a follower of Christ, you're not called to just be someone that's, uh, that doesn't go with the culture. You're called to be a culture changer. But when you look at this world and the darkness that's there, sometimes it's hard for us to believe that we can be a culture changer. It's hard to believe that we can make anything better because it's pretty bad, right? Like, it's pretty bad. Everything, on, a lot of stuff on social media, a lot of stuff that your friends are into, a lot of stuff that maybe you've wrapped yourself into, like, it's just darkness. And when we look at those things, it can be hard to trust that anything can get better, but when we look at Jesus, when we look at Jesus and how he can change a life, how Jesus changed our life, your life, how he's changed a life and maybe like a friend that you thought would never give their life to Christ, and you saw how Christ dramatically changed them, when you look at Jesus, then you can believe and trust in what God wants to do with your life and that change can actually happen in your generation because it happened for you. You're in your generation, right? Let's look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. First point tonight, or second, is be salty. Be salty. So, as you guys know, I love In-N-Out. I got a little In-N-Out salt packet up here with me. Just had some In-N-Out earlier. And so the other day, last week, me and Brianna were at In-N-Out. You guys are like, Jared, you're at In-N-Out two weeks in a row? Yeah, I'm there. It's a freaking, it's a freaking place I go. <laughs> I, I thought, maybe I shouldn't share this, but my bank, um, I don't know, banks are smart, and they know like what you spend money on. And my bank sent me like this questionnaire. <laughs> it said, how much money do you think you spend on In-N-Out? It was like a multiple choice answer. So like I picked one 
and I was wrong. The number was higher. <laughs> but anyways, eleven and out. I'm not saying. But me and Brianna were at In and Out, and Brianna was like, Jared, I think I know why you like In and Out so much. And I said, Do tell me. I'd love to hear this. She said, I think you like it because it has a lot of salt in it. And I said, Well, maybe that's true. There's lots of sodium in fast food, things like that. Salt provides a lot of flavor, right? We love salt. A lot of stuff we eat has a ton of salt with it. All the nice, greasy fast food we love has tons of salt. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? How can salt lose its saltiness? Well, salt is sodium and chloride mixed together, so really a chemical reaction has to happen for salt to lose its saltiness. It has to be diluted or put in water or something like that. Uh, be watered down for its taste to become less significant. A teaspoon of salt in a cup of water would be very noticeable, but if you put a teaspoon of salt like in 10 gallons of water, you're not really going to notice it's there. So the more water or whatever you have there to dilute the salt, the less you're going to notice it. So the purpose of salt is to add flavor but salt has become so watered down that you can't even taste it. What's the point? Jesus is saying, what's the point of salt if it has no flavor? Salt flavors food. It preserves food from decaying. Is what they used it for back then. I mean, you can even see this today. I heard a story of a guy that had like a McDonald's cheeseburger. And he like put it in a freezer for like years. I don't know how many years, but it was years. Like maybe five or something like that. He popped in the microwave. And took it out, and it was like, tasted just like normal. So, and he ate it. Yeah, true story. True story. Because it has a lot of salt, right? So, salt can be used to flavor. It can be used to preserve. And salt also makes you really thirsty. Like if I ever eat buffalo wings, even after like the hot sauce has worn off, I'm still really thirsty because it's got a lot of salt in it. Josh knows a little bit about buffalo wings, so. It has a lot of salt in it, right? You're thirsty for a long time after that. But in a way, Jesus says you're the salt of the earth. So there's some things like salt that we do. Like we preserve our culture. We try to keep the world from going down this dark path, right? We add flavor. We, we add the gospel to things. We, uh, what was the last one? I just missed it. We make people thirst for the gospel. We make people want what we have. Those are some things like salt that, that we are called to do as the church. But the problem is watered down salt cannot add flavor. It cannot preserve. And it offers nothing that would make anyone desire it. I thought it was kind of interesting that Jesus says this. He says, you're the salt of the earth. But with his statement, he, he insinuates or he implies that he knows there's people that even though they're the salt of the earth, they become watered down salt. They become tasteless salt. And he's really trying to call them out to say, this is supposed to be different. It's not supposed to look like this. What does watered down salt look like? What is a watered down faith? If your faith only consists of like different moral stuff that kind of makes you different from your friends, like, like as Christians, we want to follow the Bible and there's morals there, right? But if that's really all your faith sums up to, then what's desirable about that? 
Like, why would your friend want to have what you have and be a follower of Jesus if the only difference between you and them is, like, you don't go to that party? But other than that, you're pretty much the same in every regard. Like, what's desirable about that? What's desirable about trying to follow a religion where I just got to add rules on top of my life that I don't want to follow? Well, that's not what Christianity is, right? But sometimes we can portray to others that that's what Christianity is. The desirable thing about Christianity is not what we're sacrificing, but it's who we're sacrificing it for because he's worth it. That's what's desirable about Christianity. It's Christ. How salty are you? You are the salt of the earth. It doesn't take a whole lot of salt to add a whole lot of flavor, right? If you have a cup of water and a couple teaspoons of salt, not very much, you put it in that water, it's going to be like really salty. You're not going to want to drink that water, right? So proportionally, that cup of water could be like 10 times the, the size of that teaspoon of salt. But that little teaspoon of salt makes a huge difference to that cup of water. It doesn't take a whole lot of salt to make a difference. Just like it doesn't take a whole lot of Christians to make a difference. God isn't asking you as an individual to bring salt to the entire world. So imagine if you're just a little in and out salt packet, the salt of heaven. If you're just a little salt packet... You might be able to make a cup of water salty, but like you can't do 10 gallons. Like if you put your little salt into 10 gallons, it's not going to make a difference, right? In the same way, like we are called to change the entire world as an individual. The church, the collective goal of the whole church is to change the entire world. But the church is a ton of these. It's a ton of little salt packets. Everyone is the salt of the earth. And you can't change the entire world with just one little salt packet. But you can change your world. Your world is your oikos. It's that 8 to 15 people that are closest to you. It's not 10 gallons. It's just a cup. It's just a cup. It's the people that God has placed in your life. And so you can take your little salt packet and you can saturate your oikos with the gospel. Let's, let's look at this practically. On a middle school campus of 900 students... That's the size of Challenger Middle School over here. So say that's your average size of a middle school. 900 students. If Christians had an oikos, age 15 people, it would take 60 Christians to reach the whole campus of your average middle school. And all that means is they go to their oikos and just make sure their oikos knows, hey, Jesus changed my life. He can change your life. It's that simple. The average high school campus is about 2,400 students. Rancho Bernardo, 2,400 students. Mayor Mesa High, 2,300 students. It would take 160 Christians to reach the whole campus. One, one person probably can't do it. But 160 of these, that's enough salt to reach the whole campus. But here's what I think. I think that on your average middle school campus of 900 students, I think there's 60 Christians. Like, I think that's realistic. I think on your average high school campus, whether it's RV or Mesa or like wherever, right? I'm just using those as just examples. Scripts. There's probably 160 Christians on those campuses. Like, that's not a ton, right? So the question we need to ask, the problem isn't that the salt's not there. The salt's there. The question we need to ask is why doesn't every student there know about the gospel? 
why doesn't every student there know the name of Jesus if there's enough Christians there with their oikos that they can share the gospel with? That's, that's a fair question to ask, right? That's something we should be thinking about. I think the salt is there. But I think the problem in many cases is that the salt has lost its flavor. Just like Jesus is talking about. The salt has lost its flavor. And there really needs to be a reawakening. There needs to be an awakening of students who are willing to be culture changers and take a stand for the name of Jesus on their campus in their oikos because your oikos is heading towards a very real place called hell. And they're running out of time. And it's real. And they need the gospel. And they, they need to know that Jesus can change their life. They need to know that. And here's their hope. Here's their hope in order to, for them to be able to know that. It's you. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of your campus. You have the spirit of God inside you who gives you the ability to make a difference even when you feel like you can't. Matthew 5, verse 14. Jesus says, You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand and, wherever it, and where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Here's the next point. Get lit. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, get lit. You're the light of the world. You're the light of the world. Now, in, God, in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I am the light of the world, right? And so how does this work? How are we the light of the world, Jesus the light of the world? Well, it kind of works like this. Just in the same way that the moon reflects the light of the sun, we're like little mirrors that when we look at Jesus, that's Hebrews 12, we run this race, we're looking at Christ, the author, perfecter of our faith. When we look at him and we hold our mirror up, we are reflecting the light of the sun. So everyone around us can see that. We are the light of the world. You, as an individual, you are the light of the world. But before we know Jesus, there's darkness in our hearts, right? But the gospel isn't the darkness striving for the light. The story of the gospel is that the light has come to the darkness. Like, God doesn't make us in our darkness to try to reach him. God in his light breaks through our darkness and changes us. So God is meeting us where we are. That's what Pastor Elijah said this past Sunday, right? Put the chair down, buddy. Put it down. Just, just sit down. You're good. So God loves you the way you are, but he doesn't want to leave you right where you are. God doesn't want to leave you in your darkness. He wants to give you the light. The brightest spot on earth is the Las Vegas Strip, and it's rumored that you can see it from space. I don't know if that's really true, but maybe. You can see all the lights, all the bright lights of the city at night. Uh, me and Brianna used to live in a place where it's kind of like over a hill. You can kind of see pretty much it's actually Rancho Bernardo area, but it was like in Escondido. You can kind of see all the lights of the city. It's very obvious, right? Lights stand out in the darkness easily. But if you have the light of Christ in your life, others should be able to see that. It's not that others just see that, oh, they go to church or they follow certain rules, but others should be able to see the light of Christ. Because the light of Christ is different than following rules. It's different. The light of Christ is like, wow, that's attractive. 
That's light. There's life there. He says a city on a hill cannot be hidden. So if you're traveling and you see like darkness on a hill, you don't think there's anything there. But if you see light, like a city lights, you think, okay, there's life there. There's people there. And in the same way, when people see our light, they think there's life there. They see the eternal life that Christ, the new life that Christ has given us. So true faith in Christ is not only personal faith in Christ. Christ is calling us to have a public relationship with him. He says the light cannot be hidden. It shouldn't be hidden. The gospel is John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son, so whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. So the gospel is something that's made to be shared. The gospel is made to be shared. I would ask, if you don't want to share the gospel, do you really believe the gospel? If, if you think the gospel is just for you, then that's not really the gospel. The, G, the Bible says that Jesus died for the sins of the world. Jesus died for your oikos. He died for everyone. And they need this message. Here's what I think is a hindrance to all of us, oftentimes, to really being salty, to really getting lit in our relationship with God. I think there's a common lie related to this. And we talked about this a little bit on Sunday, but I think this is common for a lot of people, not just the people we talked about this with. I need to be stronger with my relationship with God before I can really be a light for him. I need to be stronger in my relationship with God before I can help others have a relationship with God. I need to work on my own faith. But guys, that's, that's just not true. It's just not in Scripture. That's not what the Bible teaches. Jesus says, if you have a light, you don't put it underneath a basket. Let's say if your faith is this light, and you say, I want to make my faith stronger. So I'm going to cover it up. And while I'm covering it up, I'm going to make it stronger. Well, back in this time, their lights were oil lamps. So they would put oil in the lamp if they had set it on fire, and they'd have to pour more oil if they wanted to make that fire burn brighter. Here's the deal. If you put a basket over the lamp, you can't pour oil in the lamp because you got a basket over it, right? So it can't burn brighter. In the same way, your faith can't grow stronger if you're covering it up. That's what Jesus is saying. This light that God has given you is not meant to be hidden. It's meant to be uncovered. That's how fire grows. Fire needs oxygen, right? You can't cover up fire. It grows. You have to burn for the gospel. I heard this quote that says, uh, the church exists by mission the way a fire exists by burning. And in the same way, God has given us a mission. And that mission is our purpose as Christians. It's not that I have a relationship with God and then I do the mission. They're one and the same. God's mission for me, obedience to God, is directly related to my relationship with God. If I want to grow in love for God, I have to obey Him. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So as we're obedient to God, we take these bold steps of faith. That's what makes our fire burn more and more and more. And you can't get on fire for God if your relationship with God is private. Sometimes we hide our lamp and we're not obedient to God because we believe the lie that there's too much darkness in us to be used by God. We believe 
that we have to be stronger, we have to be better, we're too weak, or whatever it may be. But look, like, Jesus paid it all. The darkness is gone. The light has come. The light has come into the world. The light has overcome the darkness. That's what the Gospel of John says in chapter 1. You don't have to have to worry about that. You don't have to worry about the darkness in your heart. Just give it to Jesus. He loves you. He, he's taken it all upon the cross. When we believe the lie that we have to be stronger in our relationship with God before we can be salt and light to our oikos, here's what we're really believing. If I say, I need to be stronger with my relationship with God before I can help others with their relationship with God, here's what we're believing. Just putting it simply, God can't use me yet. God can't use me yet. I need to do this before God can use me. Who are we to say what God can or can't do? He's God. He's God. We're people. He's God. We can't say what God can or cannot do. God can do whatever he wants. You know, there's someone about your age named Jeremiah. He thought the same thing. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 7, God calls him out to be a prophet when he was a youth. And it says, the Lord gave me this message. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as a prophet to the nations. O sovereign Lord, I said, I can't speak for you. I'm too young. The Lord replied, don't say I'm too young for you must go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you. Don't be afraid of the people for I will be with you and will protect you. I, the Lord, have spoken. So God comes to Jeremiah and says, I created you. I knew you before you were born. You know, the Bible says that you are predestined before the foundation of the world for adoption into the family of God. God knew you before you were born. God knew every mistake that you were going to make. God knew the moment you would give your life to him and your life would be changed. God knows everything about you. God knows everything about you and he sets you apart. And God's telling Jeremiah, I set you apart as a prophet to the nations. But Jeremiah responded like, God, I can't do that. I'm too young. God, give me time to mature. God, give me time to grow up a little bit. I need to get stronger in my relationship with you. I don't know if it was the culture that told him this. I don't know if it was just himself, the enemy. Somewhere along the line, Jeremiah heard and believed the lie that God couldn't use him yet. Maybe it was because of the brokenness and darkness in his life. Maybe it was because of his age. Whatever it was, he believed that lie. But God says, I'm your creator. Your creator can define what you can or can't do because he made you. He made you. And he made you for greater things than you even think you're made for. Is really what he's saying. I think for too long, maybe some of you have felt like you're just barely hanging on with your relationship with God. And you hear a message like this and you're like, man, how am I supposed to like, be active in my faith and do these things when I just, I, be, I feel like I'm far from God right now. The furthest away from God you can ever get is one prayer. You come back to him. Jesus paid it all. But if you really want to feel close to God, one of the primary ways we do that is just by being with him and being obedient to him. 
and we take steps of faith that build our trust in him. We do scary things that build our trust in him. Like he called Jeremiah, God is calling you to make a difference for your generation. He is your creator. I know you got things in your head. Maybe you've been thinking this whole time. Reasons why you can't do this. Reasons why you can't be a salt and light to your oikos on your campus. What are they going to think about me? How are people going to treat me? Jeremiah thought the same thing. That's why God said, don't be afraid of the people. For I will be with you and will protect you. God will be with you. God will protect you. You have your brothers and sisters in Christ. The church has the same purpose, the same mission. It's time to lose the watered down faith and get salty. It's time to uncover the lamp that you've been hiding. When are we going to stop talking about this and actually do it? When are we going to actually do it? When are we just going to try to see, like, what if we actually did what Jesus tells us to do? What if we tried to make disciples of our oikos? They're your friends. They're your oikos. They're going to listen to you. They're going to listen to you. They're not going to listen to me that much. They don't know me, right? They know you. They know that you love them. They're your friends. They're going to listen to you. God has formed that relationship. They're your oikos. They're not my oikos. Bringing them to church is awesome. I always encourage that. But at the end of the day, if your friends don't want to come to church, at some point, you got to say enough is enough. I'm just going to bring church to them because I am the church. Like Pastor Elijah says all the time, people not the steeple, right? You're a person. You're not a building. You are the church. You bring yourself to them. You bring the gospel to them. The call of the gospel is not to bring the nations to the gospel. It's to bring the gospel to the nations. But I think so many in the church today, their evangelism consists of, well, I invited them to church, they said no, and that's it. Never again. I, I encourage inviting people to church. I'm all for that. We need to do it. But sometimes, oftentimes, most of the time, we need to do more than that. We need to tell them about how Jesus changed our life. Because when they hear your testimony, they're going to listen. And they're going to get curious. Tonight, do you believe what God says about you? Do you believe what God says you can do? Jesus says you are the salt of the earth. You are. Jesus says you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Not just the church, you. You are the light of the world to your world, to your oikos. And the world needs you. Your world needs you. You're not too young. Your relationship with God is not too weak. The darkness in your life is not too strong that the light of Jesus won't shine through you and change the hearts of everyone around you. God still saves. Miracles still happen. Do you want to see it? Do you want to see it happen? If you want to see it happen, if you want to see God's salvation, you have an opportunity to see that firsthand. There's nothing like, there's nothing like telling someone about Jesus that you love and care for. And right where you are, no matter how weak you feel, no matter how strong you feel, no matter how ready you feel, God calls you to join the mission. God's not looking for people that are already. God's looking for people that are just available. Jeremiah didn't feel ready. God said, hey, I'm calling you out anyways because I made you for this. He made his church for this. He made his church to reach the lost. He made his church to reach the nations. 
you are the church. You are the mission. You are the salt. You are the light. How do you do this? You don't have to memorize a bunch of Bible verses. Just tell one of your friends about how Jesus changed your life. You already know the story. It's your story. Just tell them. Maybe they don't know about that. The gospel is the greatest news that anybody has ever heard. But for some people in your oikos, it's the greatest news that, that they have never heard. And they're only going to hear it from you because God put you in their life. Are you ready to be salt and light? Let's pray. God, please help us to be salt and light. God, to take up the challenge to really be obedient to you, Lord. To grow in our faith with you by taking steps of faith, by uncovering the lamp, by being the salt of the earth, by making our light shine bright for all to see because we are unashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God for salvation for anyone who believes, God. And our oikos needs to know that. God, I pray that you would equip and empower these students to reach their oikos for the gospel, God. Even it just means having a two-minute conversation where they just share their story about how Jesus changed their life. And just generate that curiosity with their friends. Just about what does that really mean to live for Jesus? What does it really mean to be saved from eternal hell and have eternal life? Lord, we thank you for the cross and the message of the gospel that it was made to be shared. And Lord, I pray that you would give us the boldness to share that. Like Jeremiah, God, that these students would learn that they are not too young, they are not too weak, they are not too anything, God. They are just right where you want them to be to fulfill your mission right now. You put them exactly where you want them right now for this point in time. And God, I pray that you would give them boldness, Lord, that they have never had before, maybe their whole life, to be unashamed of the gospel and be salt and light. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.